Join me in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, this morning we are looking at verses 12 and 13. If you're using the blue ESV Bible, you can find that on page 981. We continue in our series, working through the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And the title of our sermon this morning is Work Out. And our key words for our worshipers in training are work, fear, and will. I wonder if you've ever been to the store Ikea. A lot of major cities around the world have Ikea stores now. They are giant warehouses. Uh, They've created actually a whole new job market that has come up under Ikea. If you don't know anything about Ikea, you buy something that looks really great in the store and then you get it in a box and when you get the box you open it up and it's in at least 1.6 million pieces that you have to put together. Now, the box tells you it takes about 20 minutes. That's a lie. And so a whole new job market has started because of Ikea. And in these cities where Ikea stores are, there are people who you can hire to come over to your house and put together the Ikea stuff that you just bought. It's a brilliant job idea. I would never do it. After we first built our house about nine years ago, we took a big trip to Ikea, and I got this big bookshelf and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Our oldest daughter was in the back seat of the car in a car seat, and probably illegally we drove home with her covered in all the stuff we had just bought. Um, But we got home, and I had this massive bookshelf to put together, and how hard can it be? I've never bought anything from Ikea before. I can figure out where it goes. I can figure out how to do it. I'm a competent person. I've been to college. I can do this. I don't need any instructions. And so I laid out all the pieces. I got to work. 20 minutes turned into a few hours. I said things I shouldn't have said. I talked about people the way I shouldn't have talked about them. And I finally finished and realized that there were pieces to the shelf that were upside down. No problem, I'll just undo those and turn them the right side up. Only to find out that other pieces were in the wrong place as well. And so I had to undo all of it. And then after I undid all of it, after several hours of work, I decided to look at the instructions. Now, I'm sure most of us have had experiences where our lives would have been a lot easier if we had just taken the time to listen to some instruction up front. We think we're free, we think we're smart, we think we have it all figured out and know so much better than the Swedish instructions. We need... We don't need rules, we don't need instructions, we don't need any guidelines, we're just going to have a sense of how things are supposed to work out and we're going to do it. Well, this morning as we look in our text, continuing in our series through the Philippians, we get to these two very famous verses that are oftentimes misunderstood. Paul calls us to Christian obedience and he gives us reasons for that obedience and what it all results in. And instead of tossing aside obedience, instead of tossing aside any direction and calling it unnecessary and outdated as a concept, we find that obedience is the true path to freedom to bring pleasure to God. So let's read together in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. 
Well, two main things for us to see from these two verses this morning. The first from verse 12 is that Christians have a responsibility to be obedient to Christ. Now, as Christians who believe so strongly and emphasize so emphatically that our salvation is by God's grace alone, apart from any works of the law whatsoever, sometimes we have a tendency to shy away from talking about Christian obedience. However, obedience is very much a part of the Christian life. And I'll emphasize this up front so that we are very clear. We are not obedient to Christ in order to be saved, Our salvation is, in fact, by God's grace alone, through faith. It is in no way based upon our works, our efforts, our performances, our obedience. God saves us freely despite our disobedience. Furthermore, when you are truly a Christian, you have been regenerated by God, your salvation is not kept in any way by your obedience. You are not saved by grace and kept by works. You are not loved more or less by God based upon your obedience. He loves you as much today as He did the day He saved you, and as much as He will in 10 million years from now in heaven. Those are all important qualifiers so that we don't mistake the biblical call to Christian obedience with the purity of the gospel and justification by faith alone. They're important distinctions that we have to make. Now, with that being said, all Christians will obey Christ. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. However, that's not meant as a threat. That's not meant as a punishment of any kind. Earlier in John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus told his disciples, If you hold to my teaching, you really are disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. In other words, if you're truly a Christian, there there will be a desire and a longing to obey Christ in your life. And your life will will be a reflection of that obedience. And you don't don't see obedience as as a weight. You don't see it as a burden. You don't see it as a form of slavery. You see it as freedom. We'll talk more about that in a bit. And, And none of this... None of this is, is perfect. None of this is saying if you're, if you're truly saved, you'll always be obedient. No, the fact is that we won't be. We're not going to do anything perfectly or else the gospel is unnecessary in the first place. Indeed, we need the gospel. We need the work of Christ for our past sins, for our present sins, for our future sins. And so the call is not to perfection. If we could obey God perfectly, there was no need for Christ's perfect obedience in his life and death. But what this is saying is very simple. We need not make it overly complicated. A Christian will have a genuine desire to obey Christ out of a love for Christ in every area of life, even though we are imperfect in doing so. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this reality in his own life. There's a tension that exists in every true believer. He wrote about it in Romans chapter 7. Paul wrote this, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. Now if I I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. 
I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. We know that tension, don't we? If you don't feel that tension in your life, that, that you're, you do the things you don't want to do and you don't do the things that you want to do, if you don't, if you don't know that tension, either, either you're lying and you think you're not sinning, or you're delusional about yourself and the real state of your life, or, or maybe you're someone who's not a Christian and, and you don't have a desire to live in any way for Christ. And so what you truly want is not to obey Christ, but it's to live for yourself. But my assumption is that for the majority of us that we are Christians in this room and we completely understand the struggle that Paul is talking about. We get somewhere in our lives and we sin and we say, I don't want to do this thing and here I am doing it. And the thing I want to do, I'm not doing. That's who this text is written for. And not just for us as individuals, but, but for the church As we've looked at over the previous weeks, the context is the entire church collectively as the body of Christ. This is our calling. This is our responsibility that we would live in such a way that we are obedient to Christ, not trying to go through everything on our own. When we first become Christians, we learn from 2 Peter 1.4 that we become partakers of His divine nature. In other words, we obtain something of the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are made to be new creations in Christ. And the instant you are made to be a new creation, the instant you are regenerated, you receive the Holy Spirit. And in receiving the Holy Spirit, you receive the divine nature. It's like a seed being planted in the ground. It's not that big, it's healthy. And eventually it will grow up and bear some fruit, but that takes time. That takes work. You have, to, you have to take care of it. You have to feed it. You have to water it. You have to fertilize it. And as it grows up, you have to, at times you have to, uh, you have to cut the branches and, and mend where it may be broken. And eventually it's going to grow up and bear fruit, but you can't just sit back and wait for something to happen. There is work involved in seeing that happen. In the Christian life, God actually does require Christians to do something. It's it's not just sitting back and waiting to go to heaven. It's a very real call to Christian obedience. You must obey the Lord Jesus Christ. But as you obey Him, it's simple to talk about. It's simple as a concept to understand. But it's a thing that will bring about the greatest amount of health. And, and it's difficult to work out. The greatest amount of health, the greatest amount of fruit bearing is obedience. And when we work that out, we are transformed. This is at the heart of what we see here in verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, before we get too far in that, notice what Paul writes in the first part of verse 12 there. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul is drawing our attention back to everything else we've looked at previously, and specifically what we've seen in the last uh, three weeks. 
Remember the end of chapter 1, he's, he's calling the church to continue striving side by side in one spirit, that there would be unity of the spirit within the church. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, he called them to not be selfish and to count others more highly than themselves, to die to themselves, to live to the advantage of other people. And then last week we saw that we were called to have the mind of Christ, to set aside all of our own sense of our own rights and our own privileges as Christ did. Christ, the God-man who came and set aside all of His rights and privileges as God to become man, to put on flesh, to take on human form, to obey the Father, and to fulfill His covenant obligations even to the point of death on a cross. And we're called to take on that kind of heart in our interactions with one another, that we would sacrifice ourselves, our comfort, our very lives for the sake of others. And so now Paul says, in light of all of that, he says, now do this. Do this thing. And he's so gentle. He's so loving with them. Remember, this is Paul's favorite of all the churches. And he says to them, look, this has always been the case with you. This is who you've always been. I've seen this. But keep it up. Not only when I'm there, but especially when I'm away, keep it up. Keep pressing on. Keep persevering in obedience to Christ. How? What does that look like? Well, that's when he writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you see, the the obedience he's calling the church to here is is still in, in the line of thought about Christian unity and living as faithful Christians. Living Christ-like lives. And you hopefully see how this is all coming together here. And, And so now that we've been regenerated, we take the power that has come into our lives by the Holy Spirit. That Spirit in whom we are striving together, side by side, as the body of Christ, and we're working it out in our lives day by day. It's kind of like, if you've ever, if you've ever made pancakes before, if you made pancakes from scratch, not that cheap stuff in the box that you just add water to. If you make real pancakes, you add all the ingredients and you have to work it through. And if you don't work it all through, you get bitter bombs. Do you know what bitter bombs are? It's when the baking soda is not broken up and mixed all together. And then you make the pancake and you have little bits of baking soda that haven't been mixed and you bite into it and your mouth fills with this nasty, bitter taste and it's disgusting. And so it needs to be worked in properly. By the way, you should sift all of your baking ingredients before you put them in so you don't have that happen. But nevertheless, you understand what I'm saying. You need to work it in. You need to mix it together well. Now, good pancakes, you don't make in a mixer. You have to do it by hand. There are no shortcuts. There are no workarounds. You need to work it out. You need to work it in. And that's the idea here. All that Christ is in us and through us And for us needs to be worked into all of our lives and needs to work through our entire lives. Or else we're going to have, if you will, bitter bombs in our lives. We're going to be bitter with one another. We're going to be angry at each other. We're going to be at each other's throats regularly because Christ hasn't been worked throughout all that we are. And so all of our running around, going to Christian meetings, coming and listening to people talk, reading our Bibles a little bit every day, praying together, all this busyness of being a Christian is of no use if we're not going to obey the simple things that Christ calls us to. 
That's the, that's the arm, if you will, stirring the mix. That's the thing that actually takes and works the Spirit and the power of God through our lives and begins to give us more and more of the mind of Christ. That we need all these means God has provided to work His Word through our lives. We long to be like Jesus, and that's the only way that happens. That's the things that He has determined will make that happen. There are no shortcuts to it. Now remember, Jesus said, I read to you from John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And it seems odd probably to talk about being set free alongside the command to obey. But that's what the Bible says freedom is. And and our idea of freedom as a society is is a bit different from what the Bible says. There are different concepts. Now, there, there is such a thing as personal freedom. John Locke and the founders of our country identified freedom as a natural right. I agree with that. As far as my citizenship on this earth is concerned, I have a natural right to personal freedom. America just celebrated Independence Day, and that's what that's all about, right? In the 18th century, our forefathers threw off the chains of tyranny. That's why Virginia's motto is the Latin phrase, sic semper tyrannis, thus always to tyrants. It means something along the lines of, get your foot off my neck. Soon after the Revolutionary War, there used to be, it was very popular to see signs hanging up around places that said, we serve no sovereign here. In other words, we don't have kings, we don't have monarchs, there's nobody we bow our knee to on this earth. And for citizens of a nation, that's fine and good, and I would argue it's right. That's another conversation. What the Bible talks about in being free in Christ is a different idea that's being conveyed. And it's important that we recognize that our citizenship here in America isn't the same thing as our citizenship in heaven with Christ. We're talking about different kingdoms. We're talking about different loyalties. And we can't think about our freedom as American citizens in the same way that we talk about our freedom in Christ. As Christians, we can't and we shouldn't want to. And in fact, when we understand all there is to understand about our king, we don't want to throw him off. We don't want to be freed from him. I love, I love celebrating Independence Day as an American. But when I became a Christian, I celebrated Dependence Day. It's the exact opposite. And here's the thing about that. The Bible and free society really do agree on what freedom looks like or what it feels like. True freedom is a fulfillment that comes when you're doing what you most deeply desire at bottom. But the difference between what the Bible says and what society says is the Bible says that if you know man is not what he ought to be, if you know mankind is warped and selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed and sinful, all you need to do is look in the mirror. You know that our desires are always at war with each other. Our desires and our hearts are always competing. They're conflicting. And so freedom is not the ability to just go about doing whatever you want without any consequences, whatever that is. But freedom happens in our lives when we obey our deepest desires, those ones that God has put in us from the beginning. Because the thing we desire to do is to be fulfilled by submitting to our Creator. We were built to do that. We were built to submit to the One who made us. 
And the trouble is that sin has made that impossible. Until the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells in us and opens our eyes. And so everybody, everybody agrees freedom is the fulfillment that comes from doing what you most deeply desire. The Bible says, though, that that only happens when you're willing to be completely dependent on and submitting to God. The day you become a Christian is the day you consider your life and you say, you know, I've been like a little child slapping my father in his face. But how can a little child even do that? How can my three-year-old son slap me in the face? He can only do it if I pick him up and I hold him, right? That's the only way he's ever going to be able to slap me in the face. And that's how, prior to knowing Christ, we slap him in the face, that he's already holding us up. He's already sustaining us. That's how rebellious we are apart from Christ, that he's, he's holding us, He's keeping us, He's giving us everything we need for life and breath, and yet we continue to slap Him. And, and it's, it's when we realize that we've always needed Him, because we've always been dependent upon Him for our very breath, that we begin to understand true freedom. And it's knowing true freedom through faith and repentance moving away from rebellion, that we give up to our desire to organize our own lives for ourselves, and we find freedom in organizing our lives through being obedient to God against all of our contradictory, conflicting impulses. So when Paul tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, he's telling us to recognize who our king is and how living dependent upon our king is a holy thing, It is a great thing. It is a free thing. We live freely in Christ because of what Christ has done. And we we are made all the more able to do that day by day. How? Through obedience. Doing what God calls us to do. And in the context here in Philippians, by living in unity, by living at peace within the body of Christ, not being at odds with one another. Nothing about being bitter and jealous or gossiping causing rivalries or dissension. We need to hear God's command and work those into our lives through the means of grace. Simple obedience to God. It's why God has called us to look to His Word. And then we begin, through obedience, we begin to see that seed germinate and sprout and as it comes to the ground over time as we continue to feed it with God's word continue to depend upon God and trust him to pray and to ask the spirit to continue to work in us and reveal to us from the scriptures we see that tree begin to get some girth and some weight and some bark and some branches and some leaves and eventually we begin to see the fruit now If you've rejected Christianity, the only valid reason you could possibly give is that you think it's too good to be true. At the end of the day, the only valid reason you would have is that it's too good to be true. If you understand what I'm saying, if you understand what the Bible's saying, when you hear commands like, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, what I'm not saying, what the Bible's not saying, is that God is this awful, tyrannical, hands-on-everything-in-my-life-hold-me-down-restrictive-confining type of God. If that's how you see it, you don't understand. 
You see, real tyranny is to be under the slavery and bondage of someone else. And what the Bible teaches us and what we know from our own experience is that slavery and bondage happens when we are walking in our own ways under the slavery and bondage of sin and Satan. Obedience to Christ is the only way to true freedom. When it comes to God, you have a, you have a person infinitely above you. And the only way to, to treat Him personally is to obey Him. Many, many people come to God like this and say, I have problems in my life, so I'm going to get religious. Something came up, I'm, I'm down, I'm depressed, I'm frustrated, so I'm going to get religious. I'll, I'll start reading a Bible, I'll go to a church, I'll start doing these things, I'll start obeying, and hopefully I'll start seeing things happening in my life. And so you come with a bargain. You're bargaining with God. And what you're doing is treating God as though He's some kind of tool to be used. You come with your will, and you see God, and you say, I need something, and you have it, so give it to me. And in exchange, I'll do these things for you. You want a God, but you don't, you don't want obedience. You want a God who loves you, who gives you that love, who gives you peace, who comes in and enriches your life, but you don't want obedience. You want to use Him. You want to relate to Him as an object. But here's what the Bible is showing us. Here's what Paul is showing us, that we have to obey and submit to His will if we're ever going to be able to have any kind of meaningful relationships with one another in the church and any kind of meaningful relationship with Him. That's working out our salvation. It's not on our terms. But that's where freedom is. Because our terms, the terms that we set, the terms that we establish, those are enslaving terms. Only Christ's terms are freeing because He loves us and wants the best for us, but He knows what's best for us even when we don't. All we know for certain is that what's best for us is what Christ wants for us. But, but here's what that does. Let me give you an example of what that looks like practically in terms of our relationships with one another in the church. Suppose today we're hanging out after worship and, and someone comes to you and they, says, they, says, they say to you, you know, you think you're pretty hot stuff, but you're not. You're actually pretty lousy. And I see right through you. Now, you can get really angry and very heated and say, oh yeah? Well, you have bad breath and you're annoying and nobody wants to talk to you because you go on and on about nothing. And then you leave and you pick up your phone and you start calling people with Bluetooth, by the way. Don't pick up your phone in Georgia anymore while you're driving. And you say, you're never going to believe what he said to me. But I told him he's annoying and he has bad breath. Now, tell me, is that freedom? Aren't you enslaved to something when that is your response? Now, here's what working out our salvation looks like. Someone says, you know, you think you're pretty hot stuff. I think you're lousy. I see right through you. And you might sit there and say to yourself, ah, someone who's called my bluff. Somebody has said you're not such hot stuff. What, wasn't that what you were just telling God in prayer a few hours ago? 
Why are you so offended when somebody else says what you just said to God about yourself? Yeah, it hurt, but honestly, if that guy only knew all the things that really go on in my heart, he would really have a field day with me. My goodness, it's far worse than he could imagine. The important thing is that God knows these things about me. God has dealt with these things in me. What that man said, it it was mean, it was prideful. Of course, it's painful, but I don't have to hate him. He's only telling me sort of accidentally and probably in a kind of a perverse way what I already know to be true about myself. But God has dealt with it in Christ. God accepts me. God loves me. And because God loves me, he gave Christ to live for me and to die for me that I can follow him freely and obey him and not someone else and not my feelings and not my emotions and not my need to feel like I am right and they are wrong or to prove myself to be better than I am. I don't have to follow after all those things. I don't have to hate this guy. I don't have to be enslaved to all of that. You see, that is working out your salvation. That is preaching the gospel to yourself. Jesus is your master, and we can be in awe of him as Christians, and even more so in awe of what he has done for us in spite of who we are. And when we recognize that, when we see that, we realize that obeying Christ is freedom because I'm no longer enslaved to what you think about me. And you're no longer enslaved to what I think about you. That's what it means to come to Christ with fear and trembling, to reverence Him, to obey Him, to have a godly fear of Him, a godly respect of who He is. The reason obedience is freeing is because we're obeying the will of our designer and not our own. You may think freedom is doing whatever you want, however you want, and the way you want it. But you know that's not true. You know that is not true, or you would, when you want to, you would sit down and eat four loaves of bread and three bowls of pasta and a gallon of ice cream for dinner every night, but you know you can't do that. That's, that's not freedom. The Bible and the Bible alone shows us that real freedom is looking to that which we're called to in terms of being obedient and doing that thing because we know it's what's healthy. We know it's what's right. Freedom is having the opportunity to do the right thing. And biblical freedom is doing that which God has called us to. Only God knows who you really are and because of that we can trust Him. And that's what verse 13 shows us very quickly this morning. God will do all that is necessary for you to live and serve faithfully in His church. This is interesting, isn't it? Paul just tells us that we need to obey God to work out our own salvation, but then he tells us in the very next verse, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. There are two aspects of the Christian life. God is at work in our lives, bringing about the ends that we're called to. And those desires that we've been talking about, the ones that are godly, the ones that we struggle to do even though we desire to do them, even though that's our true longing, those desires are given to us by God. But God does more than than merely strengthen our willing and our doing. Paul's explanation goes deeper here. God Himself is working in us both to will and to act. He works in us at a level of our wills and the level of our doing. 
He works in us, not merely with us. And so there is no room for boasting here. This isn't something I'm doing on my own. Paul was very deliberate. We're called to work out our salvation, but instantly Paul reminds us that we we don't have room for pride. We don't have room for haughtiness because this is a work of God that we would live faithfully. Just as there would be no light in the room, if there was no electricity flowing through the electrical wiring, there would be no working out our own salvation without the work of God in and through us. It's what Jesus said in John 15, 4. He said, As the branch cannot bear fruit to itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. You only bear fruit when you abide in Christ. And the only way we work out our own salvation is when we remain in living contact with God through His Word. And it's exactly because God began a good work in us that we will continue it out through completion. We saw that back in chapter 1. And, and listen, this is not just God working in us and beginning and then pulling back and then giving it to us to finish. No, God is at work in the process from beginning to end. That's why Jesus said, I am with you always. That's why he promised, I will send the helper and he will dwell with you. He will dwell in you. You will have wisdom. You will have insight. You will have conviction of sin. You will be brought through the Christian life. There's a story about a man in John chapter 5. He was unable to walk, and yet, at the words of Jesus, he gets up, he picks up his mat, and he starts walking. That which he could not do in his own strength, he can, he must, and he does in the strength that the Lord gives him. And that's what we're talking about here. As Christians, we're called on by God to get up and to walk. And then we're given all that we need in order to do so. The desire the longing, the will, the ability. All of it from God. And all of it, Paul tells us, is for God's good pleasure. It's for the sake of and with a view to the execution of God's good pleasure. That God would be pleased. That God would be glorified. Friends, some of you here this morning hear this. And you're slaves to your own sin and you don't even realize it. Now maybe your thought is that, no, you know what? It's really Christians that are enslaved to something because of this language of obedience, this language of doing something, maybe against my own will because it's not what I want to do instinctively. But here's the reality. You would admit very clearly, very openly, that you are not perfect. And that's the very reason why Jesus came to die, because we're not perfect. That's the very thing about it. To be a Christian, that's the first thing we have to admit, is that I am not perfect. In fact, I'm far from perfect. I am broken. I am sinful. My life is a mess. And as I want to come before God and honor God, I can't do that on my own, because His requirement is perfection. I need someone to do that for me. I need one who has done that on my behalf. But because he loved us, God sent Jesus to live a perfect life that we couldn't live, fulfilling the law to perfection, to die a sinner's death that we deserve because of our sin, taking on the full wrath of God on behalf of his people, being buried in the grave for three days and being raised from the dead to new life, that you and I might have new life in Him. 
And so the call that he gives to all of us is that by faith we would come to him, we would trust him in his righteousness, and that we would find true freedom that sets us free in Christ and in Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, we have a great privilege to live free in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that our freedom comes from the work of God in us and through us for His good pleasure. And so may it be that we live obedient, faithful lives as believers in Christ, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, treating God, not as one who owes us something, but as our loving Father who's given us all that we need, that we might please and glorify Him and know true freedom in this life. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for your kindness of giving us your word, for the reminder of what true Christian obedience looks like, that we might know true freedom. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that if we are in Christ, that we continue to walk in the newness and freedom of life in Christ. We pray for those who are not in Christ, O God that you would break the chains of slavery and bondage in which they find themselves. That they would know true freedom, which is obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. That by faith they would come to Him, trusting in Him and His righteousness, dying to themselves, living upon the righteousness of Christ alone. And we pray you would do all of that to the pleasure and the honor and the glory and the power and the majesty of your great name. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.